Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! You talking to me? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Hi, the ho, all you girls, boys, and non-binaries out there. This is your boy, Ron Dawson, coming at you with another edition of your favorite filmmaking podcast that breaks all the rules, Crossing the 180, part of the Art of the Frame podcast network by Film Tools and Pro Video Coalition. For the past year, every other week, I've been bringing you engaging and informative conversations about culture and craft with artists, entrepreneurs, and filmmakers doing amazing work in the world of film and television. And today is the season finale 2022 of crossing the 180 and i believe all of the art of the frame podcasts are going to take a bit of a hiatus this summer to uh rest our weary bones and uh get some additional work done but for my little corner of the art of the frame world um today i will be bringing you what i think and hope will be a special treat so, as I have uh, alluded to a number of times uh, throughout the season, one of the things I wanted to do this season was use this podcast as a space to give voice to filmmakers that perhaps aren't normally the kind of filmmakers you, you would hear um, on traditional filmmaking podcasts. So, specifically, I had focused on Women filmmakers, filmmakers of color, or filmmakers who belong to the LGBTQ plus community. And uh, as I said in my last episode with Lydia Hurlbut, when I brought this up, uh, it has not been meant to be any kind of a diss to the cisgender, heterosexual, white men filmmakers out there who have been listening. I hope if you are in that demographic, you have not felt like you have been shunned. What I hope is that you would have seen this season as a, I don't know, as a look into something maybe you don't normally hear or uh, as an opportunity to expand how you see the, our industry and, and how perhaps you can be a powerful ally in the fight to make this industry a better industry for everybody who works in it. I've also alluded to my past podcast radio film school and how it was the work I had been doing in that series that kind of started all this for me personally as a filmmaker and as a podcaster this interest I had of seeing where my blind spots were and I shared how I had created this really cool trailer for radio film school and there were no women filmmakers in it and I wanted to sort of like search my own soul do my own kind of soul searching to find out why that was and make up for it by having a few special episodes in that series where I would interview specifically women and explore uh, topics and themes I hadn't explored before. And so today, what I wanted to share with you are some excerpts from those past episodes that I think you'll find engaging and enlightening. Uh, the first is a segment from an episode called Think Like a Man. And it is where I have an, uh, a very funny but engaging conversation with uh, Yolanda T. Cochran, 
She was actually on this season of Crossing 180. She has worked in Hollywood for over two decades. For a period of time, she was the the head of production at Alcon Entertainment. Then she was at Netflix and then Freeform and Nickelodeon television for a while. So she's been on both the film and TV world. It's kind of like done it all. And uh, at this particular time, I think she was still at Alcon. And she uh, basically took issue with the end of my women in film series. And uh, what prompted was this really interesting conversation that uh, you're about to hear. But I think this is a great example of how even in our attempts to be good allies, sometimes we still have foibles. And on the other side of that will be a good transition to what blossomed out of that conversation. So here is a blast from the past. For some of you, you probably have never heard this, so this will be brand new for you. But it's evergreen, even though it was recorded a few years ago. I think it's something that still uh, stands the test of time, and I think uh, you'll enjoy this conversation. A few weeks ago, I had a Skype session with show regulars J.D. and Yolanda Cochran to discuss their feedback on a draft version of my documentary short, Little Mixed Sunshine. It's the first in my Mix in America series about biracial people. We've been following the progress of my production on that short film series over the season of this podcast. After what was already a 90-minute conversation, just as I was wrapping up to go... I've now listened to both of your best of, and mm. um, something in it sparked me to want to respond. And oh, I, yeah. I decided that I was going to leave you... A voicemail to do so so <laughs> i'll leave you a voicemail and let you know my opinion tell me wow. now yeah what's up i want to know well first of all uh, first i want to gather my thoughts yeah, you can't say something like that <laughs> I, know. I, don't <laughs> about. I have this well, big thing i want to tell you to change like, your uh, life i think uh first of all you need to cut jd from the show he brings <laughs> the show down you don't need comic relief in the show Is it the kind of thing that you can tell me quick and then we can think about it and come back to it? Or is it the kind of thing like I'm going to want to talk about it longer? <laughs> You'll definitely want to talk about it longer, yeah. which is why I was like... All right, just give me like the Reader's Digest. Okay, so essentially, um, it harkens back to your women in film. Yes. And, you know, um, that whole topic. Yes. You were coming off of a discussion with, unfortunately, I'm forgetting the woman's name, uh -huh. but I, it was a three a three name name. <laughs> she said, "You know what? I'm glad you did ask the question." Et cetera, right. Et cetera. And then you sum it up, and you talk about, you know, women and quote unquote what what women should or could be doing. Mm -hmm. And your last point was. <laughs> They should think and act like men. Think and behave like men. Right. Church. <laughs> <laughs> so, I... You have a comment about that. I took issue and reject that comment. Although huh? I understand, I think, I, think it needs to, I think it needs to be rephrased. All right, let me stop right there. Before we continue, for the benefit of those of you who might not have heard the original Women in Film series to which Yolanda is referring, 
Here's a short montage of clips from that episode. In part of this montage, you'll hear clips from the Hollywood Reporter's roundtable discussion with the heads of the top studios. And you'll also hear an excerpt from the TED Radio Hours interview with Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg. They were both part of that original episode that I had done. So, previously on Radio Film School. Here's another clip from that TED Radio Hour episode with Sheryl Sandberg. This part of the episode is a clip from her 2010 TED Talk. Women systematically underestimate their own abilities. Men attribute their success to themselves and women attribute it to other external factors. If you ask men why they did a good job, they'll say, I'm awesome. If you ask, <laughs> obviously, why are you even asking? If you and ask so I women think it's important that we acknowledge that whatever little work we do is good and it's making progress and together, I mean, I do think what you were saying, we have to help each other. That is such a key thing. I think definitely um, women don't believe in themselves a lot of times, I feel like. And at this part of the conversation, Langley is addressing this issue of mentorship. Uh, I actually do a lot of mentoring with college students, with big brothers, big sisters, mm -hmm. and also overseas as well. I'm on the board of Vital Voices, and it's a mentorship capacity that I hold there. And, and you there was a great thing on the internet about how women would say great quotes if asked, you know? So instead of um, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, the woman's version would be, you know, I have this idea, and I'm not sure if I should bring it up in this meeting, but it seems that if we all pitched in, we could do a lot for the country. Who am I to be the authority on women in filmmaking, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I questioned it for a second. Uh-huh. I think it was Ingrid Kopp, who's from the Tribeca Film Institute on our show, and she does, and she said that uh, she, as a curator, was trying to get women to be speakers at this event she's having, and she's always curating events, and, and it's the same as you, like, you know, these women are like, no, you know, I don't really feel like I'm the person to be the authority on this, but, like, the man always says yes to her, to, to being the authority on it. What would I see? Travel far and wide What I see the world Through man's eyes So based on what you just heard at the end of that episode, I summed up the moral of the story like this. But I just be wondering What kind of man are you? So my fellow filmmaking friends, what have we learned? One, Women need to seek out mentors, whether they be men or women, to guide them where they want to go. Two, women in the position to do so should seek to be mentors to other women. And three, for lack of a better term, and I hope this doesn't come across wrong, but women need to act and think like men. It feels weird even saying that, I know, but tell me, what do you think? Well, I included that last part of this episode in my recent Best Of series, so that's what Yolanda was referring to earlier. So with that in mind, let's now return to my discussion with Yolanda and her feelings about my comment. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School Short Ends, a Women in Film Series update. What it harkens back to is basically this whole phenomenon mm -hmm. of women not seeing themselves in a certain light, whereas men tend to, to see themselves mm -hmm. in a better light naturally. Right. And so 
I think it is better to encourage girls and women to have a uh, different view of themselves as opposed to quote unquote act and behave like men. And and I say that for this reason, Mm -hmm. it goes back to something that JD and I've had this conversation over the years, particularly where, when I've been in a position to, you know, have the chance for either promotion or raise or both. Right. And he's often coached me about how men approach those situations and what he's observed about men being able to do better in those situations because of how they behave and the things that they say in those situations, as opposed to what women do. And a very big vehement argument that I have always said to him, even Mm -hmm. though I don't necessarily fully disagree with what he's saying is why is the impetus on me as a woman to have to fight for something that I've already earned and have to make a case to someone for something that I've already earned. And I, and, and what I've said is I, as a woman in management have an entirely different approach. Those individuals who have worked themselves and done all of these things to better me and my professional aims and goals and, and things that I'm trying to do, I naturally then go and fight for them to get them what they deserve without them having to ask me. So why am I then put in a position to have to fight for myself to have someone give me something that I've already earned? And that is something that is very male. Mm -hmm. And to say, you know, women should act. Wait, stop. Careful. Careful. Let me finish. No, say it. To say to a woman what you should be doing is acting and behaving like a man is to basically say there is something wrong with this equation. So instead of correcting what is not partial and what is not in the vein of the right uh, of, you know, being, you know, parody, Mm -hmm. what the person who needs to correct themselves is the person who's not the one doing the wrong thing. (laughs) You're right. Instead of saying, we need to create a scenario in which this isn't happening. Can I respond? Absolutely. Excellent question. And it's funny you brought it up because when I was when I was recording or not recording, but when I was adding that segment to the best of episode, I was thinking about that comment again and when I was listening to it, you know, I was like, Oh wow, that's it's kind of a provocative statement. But I have two answers to that. Um one with that, you know, the original episode that that excerpt played in earlier in that episode one you know in fact Elaine um Sheldon was commenting how one of the women that she uh a good friend of hers works for AP and she's yeah. um instead she would go into meetings and, and right and act like say- I'm going to say exactly what I think a man would say in this exactly. situation. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. she specifically mm-hmm. said, I'm going to act like a white man. Exactly. And yeah. this woman, totally. it was a black I know. woman. I know. And so, um, that. There's actually bags on sale <laughs> online on eBay of, you know, behave like a mediocre white man or something. <laughs> right, like, right, or something right. like that. I can't remember. Right. So, in the context of the original episode, I was summarizing the points that were kind of made 
earlier, like one, you need to find, you know, what do we need to do to find parity for women? One, um, women need to find mentors. Two, women who are in a position to do so should be mentors. And three, women, um, you know, basically should act the way men do. Because earlier in that original episode... (laughs) And and put a rim shot after that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because earlier in that episode, you know, you heard from um, the CEO of Facebook... Um, um, from her TEDx talk, I took a sample from that and she was talking about how men react to certain things. So there was all these examples of how men respond to certain situations versus how women do. Um, and so in answer to your question, just to be blunt and frank, that's the world we live in. So yeah. And I get it. And I, and again, like I say, like what I think needs to happen is because I'm not taking myself, I'm not removing myself from responsibility of if, by chance, you know, I was in a position of being quote unquote underpaid or, you know, under, you know, under titled, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly should, I, I bear some responsibility to speak up for myself and to say, here's what I find acceptable and here's what I will work for, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. <clears throat> and as the case may be, and you know, you can argue it or whatever, men tend to be better at viewing themselves that way and speaking that way. And so that's great. And I very much feel like women do need to be better at that. And so that's do, all I'm saying. It, it, yes, I know. But that doesn't mean we need to act and behave like men. It just means right. that men might be more naturally predisposed because of social conditioning to do that. Right. So I think what you said earlier is probably... Because when I say when I was saying they need to act think like men or they need to act like men, it, obviously I don't mean you need to go around like scratching yourself and saying crude jokes and acting the way men. No, do. and I and, know, but, right. but also by saying it, that's that's devaluing and saying acting behaving like women is basically not going to let you. That's going to mean you're not going to be as successful. I, <laughs> so, well, but, I, I, I this may be provocative again, but. That's the world we live in. I mean, the men who are getting ahead. I understand that, but that does that mean that the world we live in is right, and that we shouldn't be striving to make changes about that? Because here's another thing. But I, no, here's but, a stat I've but heard it's as like, well. It's like here's the reason why we had a firm. Ron has to go. Okay, Ron, here's, think about wait, it, and then, no, and then here, you could take. Let me just make this last it's last a new point. Podcast. It's a stat that <laughs> I, I do have a whole new episode of, and I got to get exactly what it is. Right, but it's something to the along the lines that. Companies run and or managed from a high level by women tend to be more successful than those that are by men. Oh, I agree. By successful, I mean profitable and, you know, uh, employee satisfaction and all of those things. And so why shouldn't men be acting and behaving like women? You're, you're, You're right. And so I think maybe a better way of phrasing it is in the right situation, women should act like men. No, women should come in and say with confidence, here's what I need, and I'm not accepting anything less. But that's what men do. That's the point. I know, but that should just be what people do. But, but, that, but if like acting but, like men. women should women should be conditioned to have that predisposition as opposed to say, oh, they should act like men. Sure, sure. But even going back to Sheryl uh, Sandberg's comment, you know, the CEO of Facebook, she was making the point that women don't do that. And even in that com- earlier in that conversation, I don't remember her name offhand, but 
she was one of the female CEOs of one of the studios, was commenting on how, um, you know, if a woman were to say, you know, she was talking about the speech, you know, um, ask not what you can do for yourself, ask what you can do for your country, you know, that famous speech. And the right. woman, early in the episode, the woman executive of the studio was saying, you know, if a woman were to say that, she would say something like, well, I kind of have this idea. And, yes, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People were laughing at it because there's truth to that. And so I hear what you're saying, but the point is men do approach certain things a certain way. I, mean, I agree, Rob, but what I'm saying is the, there's a reason that women right, but what you're say talking it about, that way. And that's because of how they're, right. they're, how they're raised. How they're raised. How they're ra- yes. So right. I think so they, until that I, changes. Instead of, saying, instead of saying they need to be like men, I think we need to say, Women need to be socially conditioned differently, and they need to be raised differently. Well, I think they were saying that in that episode. Yeah, and that in the original episode no, that I was know. addressed. You're right. Man, hey, but she just want to argue. What she no, need no, to do is act like a man and just chill out <laughs> and not be all high strung all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm tired of all this male bashing. Well, uh, so I think we have another episode and record it. <laughs> And we will revisit this as a follow-up. So. Dude, man, you know what would be just delicious? <laughs> okay, what? Is if we could get the women of the clique. Oh, the talk? Is it no, gonna be like, that wouldn't be delicious. Is no. it like the, it's going to be like that? Jacqueline and... No, it would be great. Like, is it going to be like that scene in... Uh, well, you would have... That scene in Jungle I, Fever I where this. all the sisters yeah. were around talking about... You'd have a lot of sisters that... Like, black women that are working in the industry. Yeah. That, I like that idea, I, yeah. Race and, and uh, sex. Uh, uh, yo, let's talk about that later. Race and gender. Let's... Uh, I actually really like that idea. But I just be wondering What kind of man are you? As of this recording, Yolanda and I are working on getting her female friends from the clique to gather around and hash this topic out. The clique is a group of about two dozen or so of JD and Yolanda's USC film school friends who are all in varying careers in Hollywood. Everything from actors in the Marvel Universe, to movie and television producers, to HBO showrunners. Getting them all together in a single room to discuss this topic would be an amazing sequel to the Women in Film panel I conducted last fall here in Seattle. I'm hoping we can pull it off. So be sure to stay tuned to the show to find out. So at the end of that clip, she talked about inviting her friends from her clique. And we got, I think, six or seven of them together, all women, to talk about their experiences as women in the industry. And I created a special miniseries called Breaking the Glass. And towards the end of that miniseries, uh, Yolanda produced the segment. And it was a segment that basically took all the lessons we had learned from the episodes leading up to that to determine what was the definitive answer to solving the issue of gender disparity in Hollywood. Part of the episode included uh, not only commentary from Yolanda herself, but uh, interview with some additional women filmmakers and actors and producers who gave their input. And so here is... What I believe was actually the season finale of the Breaking Glass miniseries. Enjoy. Let's start first, though, with our guest, Julie Harris-Walker, host of The Other 50%, A Her Story of Hollywood, another great podcast on gender equality issues in the entertainment business. 
We caught Julie in the early days of her podcast that's now going strong, and she's since added a series for women in tech. I'm interviewing successful women in Hollywood to hear their stories. And it's really like a let's sit and have a cup of coffee and talk for an hour. So it's really intimate, in-depth. And what I initially wanted to explore was, you know, there's a lot of chatter about, you know, Jennifer Lawrence's pay inequality and things like that. And people were talking about actresses and famous people. And I thought that is interesting and it's important, but it's not terribly relatable to me. You know, I'm sorry she got 15 instead of 20 million. And yes, of course she deserves $20 million, but how does that affect my life? Um, So I wanted to talk to the women who are really in the trenches, in Hollywood, working the business, working their way up and having families, raising children, I knew many of them were the breadwinner in their family. And I just wanted to explore what has your experience been? How hard has it been? Or how easy has it been? What kind of things do women have in common? Because just anecdotally, I knew a lot of female executives who were the breadwinner in their family. And that is really interesting to me right now. Like, how do you negotiate that in a relationship? Knowing that women still have 80% of the household and child rearing duties, how do you negotiate that while being a big executive? So I just started talking to women and asking them these stories. And I got to tell you, it is so delicious (laughs) and illuminating and inspiring. And I'm talking to the kind of women where when I was coming up, I saw them on this big pedestal, like, you know, when I was just starting out in the business, I would see these vice president women who seemed so powerful and had it all together and were so smart and so untouchable and getting to just sit and have these intimate conversations with them now and sensing what it's like for younger women to be able to listen to that conversation that they don't necessarily have the opportunity to have, mm-hmm. I think is incredibly inspiring as to what's possible for people. Yeah. Yeah. Is there been some you said it was illuminating is there something that has particularly stood out to you or maybe even surprised you from the interviews you've done um yeah you know some of the things i completely expected uh but like i ask every guest two questions are you a success and are you a badass Hmm. and for women are you success Ooh, that's hard for them to say yes Um, it is very rare, you know, Yolanda said, yes, and I'm a badass. Like (laughs) she owned it. And I was like, you're the first one who has, Yeah, yeah, uh, that's our Yolanda. (laughs) But I've talked to, you know, executive vice presidents and they're like, well, you know, if I'm feeling really confident that day, yes, I'm a success, but you know, there's still all these goals I want to accomplish. So I don't see myself as a success yet. And then I have to tell them like, from an objective point of view, you are wildly successful. (laughs) They're like, I guess I've been lucky. Come on, sisters. (laughs) You have worked your ass off for that. Own it. Okay. So this speaks right to really a topic that started this whole series that I'm doing right now anyway, this, which was this think like a man episode I did on my show. And I don't know if yeah. you had a chance to hear it. Did you get a chance to hear it? Oh yeah. I've listened to it. And I was listening to the first episode in the series you're doing right now, just this morning. Oh, okay, cool. So I have some opinions about that. Well, I, I definitely <laughs> want to, I definitely want to hear it, but, uh, but it all goes to this, 
mindset that seems to differentiate between men and women in terms of how they look at themselves and you know like e for instance even in the trailer for the for the film series that we're doing you know it starts with a story by one of the women on the panel um nichelle proto who's a vp and she says she she shares how she feels like one of her failures is that um basically not owning it throughout her career and how she noticed that with the men she's worked with like men had no trouble owning it and it wouldn't even matter how small it is that they did like they made sure people knew what they did like no matter how small and oh yeah i heard that yeah and so <laughs> uh so first of all tell me what do you think about that and then i want to hear your you said you had some opinions about the whole thing like a man thing i want to hear about that too um, well, I think there's a few different parts of it. One is, and I think Sheryl Sandberg nailed it, we have to think like a man in that, um, like the data shows, if a woman's going for a job and there are six qualifications, she has to have seven of those qualifications before she thinks she's ready to put herself forward for it. Right. A man will see the six qualifications and be like, I think I got one of those. I got it. Throw me in. I can do that job. (laughs) (laughs) So in that instance, yeah, think like a man. You can do it. Throw yourself in there. And I was recently in a a situation myself where I was interviewing for a job, and I had five and a half the qualifications, and everything in me wanted to hold back. And I kept saying to myself, act like a man. Act like a man. Yes, I can do that job. Like, I can figure it out. I know I can. But it took a lot of self-talk for me to get there because my instinct was, oh, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> so that that's, that's one aspect. I think we need to own our self-esteem, own our confidence, say yes, know that you can do it. I think women spend a lot of time waiting for permission waiting to be discovered, like not just as an, as like an actor, but waiting to be, waiting to be discovered as in, oh, she's smart. She's talented. Let me help push her forward in her career. I think we hang back and wait. So in that aspect, I think women need to be a lot better at, well, see, here's the catch 22. The data also shows when women promote themselves, they're penalized for it and it doesn't give them the effect they were looking for. When women promote each other, it goes a lot further. And that just speaks to unconscious gender bias. It seems like there's this dilemma, obviously, where, and this also came up in the trailer, where, you know, if you quote unquote act like a man, you get penalized for it, you call it a, you know, you call it the B word, what have you. And, you know, one of the things that, one of the things that Yolanda talked about, and I don't know, and maybe the kind of thing that it's going to take a generation for us to go through before this kind of change happens, but like changing and came up in that episode, that think like man episode, like basically changing the societal norms, changing the conditioning that we do with women and little girls when they're little girls and boys, men, when they're little boys in terms of what's considered, you know, like normal for men and what's considered normal for women, that kind of thing. So that, you know, when they become older, if a woman is more assertive, it's not, she's not looked as the B word. She's looked as she's just being normal. And, or as Yolanda puts it, that a woman can be whoever she is. She can be confident in herself, however that is. Um, And it, 
in and of itself doesn't come across as being something that goes against a societal norm. And I don't know. So, so that does that mean there we have to wait a generation of kind of that conditioning to happen before we can <laughs> see any kind of real serious change? God help us. We've already waited three generations. Uh, like, I totally get Yolanda's point, and I agree with her. And it's along the lines of if there's one woman in politics, it changes her. When there's enough women in politics, it changes politics. It is about changing the society. Because, right, if if the issue is women are not acting enough like men, so they're not assimilating enough into the male culture that we've all agreed is the norm, and that is what we all have to comply to, then, yeah, I, I agree that's a little bit of bullshit. Because really what needs to happen is the society needs to change mm -hmm. so that every style and every human uh, interaction and the way that we behave as humans is valued, regardless of where you are on the spectrum. I do think we still have such, and I'm going to say this phrase again because I think it really nails it, and it's unconscious gender bias. Because mm -hmm. you can talk to men, I talked to a man yesterday, in fact, who sincerely believes he hires and promotes based on merit, he doesn't see gender. And I said that that would be fantastic if you were in a post-gender equality company. But the reality of it is, if you really are only hiring and promoting on merit, why is it you only see merit in males? And, were, and you're not, talking to not even aware of it. Were you talking about the proverbial you, or were you, were you talking about him specifically? Oh, I was talking about him specifically. <laughs> is, was, is that something that was borne out? Like, does he only have males working for him? Is that what, you, is that what you've seen in this particular case? Yeah, in this particular company, um, all, the, all the executives are male. Got it. Without exception. Ron and Julie's discussion comes back to a related topic he and I touched upon on a prior episode discussing quotas and the low number of female directors in film and television. If you have a greater than 50% of the population, you know, of all walks of life, not represented in the people who are doing a particular job, where that job does not require something specific to a gender in order for them to be able to do it. Clearly there is a problem there. All right. So here's a couple of things, uh, like one from a devil's advocate perspective, the point that's made and that's often brought up is why not, why not hire just who's qualified if it's a man or as woman, which is, I think something. That I love that idea. I love that idea. Okay. Love it. I feel there's, there's more coming to that comment. Hire, just hire who's qualified. So the natural, you know, deduction then from that statement is because there's only so many women being hired, then that must necessarily then mean that there aren't any qualified women out there to do the job. Apparently. Apparently. I mean, that's just insane. No, what is happening? Yes, let's just hire who's qualified. Well, the problem is, again, we've come back to this conversation before. It's all about hiring practices. Hiring practices 
has an impact on who's doing these jobs. You cannot tell me that in the population of everybody that less than 10% of the available pool of directors who are qualified are actually female. It's just not the case. What's happening is those people who are qualified are not having an opportunity to get into the room and have the opportunity to be evaluated of whether they're qualified and whether their voice and their vision for the piece would be what the producers or the production company or the network sees as the direction they want to take that creative project in. They're not getting the opportunity. And so that is, that's the problem. I always say the women's movement failed just to be shocking, (laughs) but I know know it didn't fail, but I know it is not finished. Because what we accomplished was, yes, women can be in the public sector and women can have jobs and women can do very well and women can still do 80 to 100% of the, the housekeeping and the childcare. So as a result, women got all the responsibility and it let men off the hook in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we didn't include men. Like we didn't get their buy-in to, yes, I'm going to pick up the other 50% of the household. And so I think it's not finished and now we're in the predicament that we are. So it's just to say, I think it is vital to include men in the conversation. And I know, and I know many of them personally, there are men who cannot even hear this message from a woman. They can't even hear it. They don't believe it. It doesn't go in. They don't even know what you're talking about. They can't comprehend any of the examples. I think it's going to take a lot of men seeing it, calling it out, recognizing it, and telling their bros. It's funny. uh, Your comment about, you you thought about me hosting this podcast, and I don't know if you got to it in the listening yet, but that, like the first official episode of the series, that's exactly Mm -hmm. what it was about. Like me struggling with that question like, am I the right person to be the voice of this particular mini series? Should I be the one hosting it? And you know, ultimately coming down to the decision that, you know, I want to, you know, work with other female producers. Actually, I don't know why I didn't think about you, but um, having female producer guest, basically guest female producers for the mini series, because I recognize that one, there are going to be questions that I'm not even going to think to ask guests because I'm not a woman. And, um, so having a female producer in, the, in those lines, but also just having the voice of women being, um, if not the majority, at least a large percentage of the voice you hear in the miniseries, not just through me as the host interviewing women, but other women as producers doing their own little This American Lifestyle uh, segment of each episode. It's interesting to contemplate. Ron, on occasion throughout this series, has rightly posed the question, are there behaviors and actions among women themselves that may be lending to upholding the inequities? Great question. And taking a look at that, one might flip it and say, what can women be doing to help themselves? Two answers to that question are, A, women should advocate and promote other women, and B, women should shine a light on and expressly call out inequities when they happen. Sounds logical, right? 
But what happens in the real world when women attempt to make this kind of impact and change the course of their realities? Courtney Daniels is an actress, producer, and owner of Busted Buggy Entertainment. Courtney's completed more than one feature film and knows a bit about this topic. Both she and Julie pinpoint the flaws inherent in these seemingly simple solutions. Here's a perspective from Courtney. There are women in extremely high levels of power in the studios. They're at the top, yet they are approving these shows cutting the the woman and not the man. That, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of sticking together, and, and that's what's going to change things. That If you look at any cause... It's people sticking together and fighting for each other, and that's not what happens. They, they're they at the top of their game, and they can't look like they're supporting women and that's their agenda, and therefore they allow this sort of thing to take place. If you want to see change, women have to work together, and men who believe that women's brains work just as capable as another man's and can find the cures to cancer, and we passed all of the same classes in high school and college that a man did, just because we're a woman doesn't mean that we don't have the same capabilities. And, and men have to agree and support that. Here again, Julie makes yet another salient point on this train of thought. Women are afraid. It is very risky to call out gender inequality. And if you attain a certain amount of success, you are afraid that will end. I approached a woman who I really wanted to have on my podcast, because she's very successful and she is a badass. And she was like, I think it's so important what you're doing. I'm so excited about it, but I'm a single mother and I can't afford to take that risk. So I will pass, thank you very much. Over and over and over, Lon and I have both contemplated and expressly asked ourselves and our guests, what are the solutions? What practical, tangible, and effective practices can we engage in to turn this around? And whatever the answer to that question, it would seem that change will take some time. Ryan Murphy proved it. In one year, his shows went from under 20% female directors to more than half. And not only that, his crews have become diverse as well. So here's what I believe now. What it takes for change to happen is for people to decide it's time for it. And until that change happens, it must be those who are in power to want that change and to be on the leading edge of it alongside those masses of women who are deserving of their advocacy. We don't need to put namby-pamby programs in place and wistfully dream of some far-off utopian future. We don't need to kick the can down the road anymore. We need to smash the hell out of that can and let it be done. Because guess what? People like Ryan Murphy ruined it for everybody. I like to think that the little experiment I did with Crossing the 180 this year uh, is a good example of what Yolanda was talking about. That when we make a conscious effort to create change in this industry, it can happen. Whether it's hiring more women, hiring more 
BIPOC filmmakers, creating diversity where there is none. When you want to make change, you can. You just have to make that choice. And with that, that is a wrap on Crossing the 180, 2021 to 2022. I want to thank all the wonderful guests who agreed to come on my show this year. And I want to thank all you listeners out there who have stuck through and have uh, participated in this little experiment of mine. I hope you found it inspiring, engaging. I hope it gave you some good ideas. I hope it gave you lots of inspiration for your own work wherever and whatever you do in this industry. I wish you the best. You all are very special and I appreciate you. With that, I'll just say for one last time, Crossing the 180 is a production of Blade Runner Media and part of the Pro Video Coalition's Art of the Frame podcast series. This episode was produced, written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Ron Dawson. You can follow me on Twitter at Blade Runner, that's Runner with a no, and you can follow me on Instagram at Blurred Runner. Follow Pro Video Coalition on Twitter at Simply Pro Video. That's it for now, and perhaps forever. Maybe I'll be back in the fall, who knows. Until whenever, remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or could it on. <laughs>